0: Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, we are in 2020. We've got plenty to look forward to in 2020, but I'm also bringing back guests that were first on the podcast in 2019. Please welcome back Mythic Michaela. Hello, everyone. So how are you doing so far? Anything interesting happened today?
1: You know, not not a whole lot of interesting things. I had a very, very wild um Ravnica Allegiance draft that I thought was an awful deck that I somehow seven <laughs> would with.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, so um I guess your your definition of awful is different than other people's if you went
1: 7-0. I got lucky and I played well. That's all I can say. <laughs>
0: I streamed last night and I did a Ravnica draft and I and I went three and three, which is fine. But uh, there were a couple of a couple of times that I thought, well, I could have played that slightly better. But you live, you learn.
1: Yeah, but it's especially with the rotating draft format. I feel like it just takes a few drafts to like really get used to like what other people are drafting, the common cards that you're gonna see, remembering what the tricks are.
0: Yeah, getting back into the swing of it all. Well, before we get too deep into magic talk, let's uh, give you a moment to self-promote. Would you like to promote your stream, social media, anything at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I stream Tuesday through Thursday, starting at 7 p.m. Central Time, and I'll occasionally throw in a stream on the weekends, and that's a Twitch t- twitch.tv um, m- slash Mythic Michaela, and I'm also Mythic Michaela on Twitter.
0: Very nice. You were able to get those names consistently on the social media that you use, right?
1: Yes, and my arena name is also Mythic Michaela as of about eight months ago, I think. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: You had to go through that process? That wasn't that easy to change your name, I bet.
1: Um, it really wasn't too bad. I think if you have a good reason to oh, change okay. your name, they're mm-hmm. pretty cool about it.
0: Okay, great. But then we still have to tack on those weird numbers at the end. So have you memorized your yeah. numbers yet?
1: Um, yes, I do have them memorized, but I, I always double check.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Very good. So we've got some topics, some magic topics to to talk about. We're in 2020 and uh, Theros Beyond Death is the current set that's out. And we've got a whole roadmap of everything coming in 2020. But I wanted to catch up with people what they were up to in 2019. So I started the podcast uh, right on the very first week of January uh, 2019. And uh, you were one of the early guests. So I wanted to get you back. And you've been back to the podcast a few times, but I wanted to talk about your time in 2019. So in general, um, how was your Magic Arena life in 2019?
1: You know, I have to say Arena was pretty great to me in 2019. You know, I had a... A little bit of a roller coaster of a ride with it throughout the year. Um, But, you know, I participated in some Fandom Legends tournaments that Mm -hmm. I did pretty okay in one of those, um, which was an awesome opportunity that Arena brought to me. Um, Mythic Championship 5 was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was some really good things. And it also got me back, you know, Arena is what brought me back into Magic. I think that was like the focus of the first time I was on the podcast was this This is what brought me back. This is the reason I'm playing magic again is because mm-hmm. I have access to this great online program that makes it easy to play. Um, however, when I started adding in paper, I had less time to play arena. Yeah. and it became a lot harder to climb the ladder, and I felt like that was kind of like I found that very, very frustrating to me because it was it came so easily when I had all this time. Yeah, and then when I didn't have the time, <laughs> it it became a challenge.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot on Twitter that people are saying that it seems to be that some are forming like a love-hate relationship in terms of they love that they can play magic easily, but then they hate that the the stress, the mental stress and stuff and such that comes with climbing that ladder. I know myself that when I'm on a roll on that ladder, it's really great. And then I hit a snag, some potholes, and then it just uh, uh, throws you back various uh, various tiers. I was able to get up to Diamond 3, I think, um, at the highest last year. And it's just been very hard to get back up there, uh, even up to Platinum. There's just so many great people on, on on Arena on the ladder. And yeah, like you said, if you don't have the time to kind of grind it and do it, it, it can be tough.
1: Oh, for sure. And, you know, you... <sighs> When you have like a good win percentage in tournaments, you see those results, you know. You you, you see yourself getting prizes and um you see yourself, you know, pushing to the next level. Now, if you go seven and two on arena, what you're you're not really climbing that high with like a seven and two on arena, <laughs> and that's like enough to day two a GP.
0: Yeah.
1: So you know, and that's like that's a really good day of magic, right? So, yeah. you know, I think that's part of it. And then when you have your your more average days and you just see yourself like either not doing anything or like you know maybe you only go up two notches in a day and you've been playing for three hours yeah you know yeah you you weren't just losing but you also weren't winning enough
0: yeah there's that disconnect between paper magic and digital magic and it just seems i kind of ask myself well i kind of tell myself that victory was so hard fought and yet that defeat was so easy to get to um, oh,
1: that's how it feels all the time or um especially when you start feeling like forced to play a quicker deck like yeah, you know these losses matter less if it didn't take me too much time, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels bad when you spend you know 40 minutes playing a best of three match just to lose it yeah. in a close game.
0: Yeah. remember back in the old days, however, when the only way you could play was best of one on arena?
1: I miss it in a way.
0: sure, yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I I do occasionally go back to best of one, you know, I will take a deck that I'm enjoying and um, adapt it to what I think the best of one meta will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but any more playing ladder is usually more of tournament prep for me, mm-hmm. as much as it can be. So I do find myself in best of three queues a lot more often than not. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, when the when it was announced that we would have best of three, like quote unquote real magic, uh, I really was looking forward to it because I just enjoyed in paper magic to be able to sideboard and all of that, and that's another skill that one needs to uh, to keep honed. So I pretty much just play best of three, but I, but I hear you when you when you do a long game and then it kind of slips uh, slips out of your fingers. Yep. Now let's. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, you. You mentioned uh, Mythic Championship Five, so let's. Um, can you kind of talk about any of your like tournament stuff? It doesn't have to be arena focused, but just any sort of like uh, tournaments that you worked on in twenty nineteen.
1: Oh my goodness! So I ended up I attended three Magic Fest in twenty nineteen. Um, one of them I lost playing for day two, and it was my own fault. <laughs> which is the worst feeling in the world when you you know the line that you should have taken to get the win.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and then I did I made the second day of the tournament in Kansas City but was just short of cashing and that mm-hmm. was really cool cuz um that was a tournament where I ended up bringing mono red which is not really an archetype I would generally play mm-hmm. but I ended up performing pretty well with it and um you know just it was the first time I'd piloted the deck in paper. I'd only played it online. Mm-hmm. So I was really proud of myself for that. And then um I played a modern GP, which was uh could have gone better, but that was really interesting preparing for that in a short period of time when I had only been playing standard and draft yeah. for the past eight months.
0: Well yeah, that's um, a completely different mentality that you've got to switch up once you jump into modern.
1: Oh yeah, just different card pool. And like the last time I had played modern was in like 2014 2013 2014 Hmm. so it's a it's a different format now yes (laughs) they've added a few cards since then and um so yeah and then i i also you know i played a couple fandom legends tournaments which were on thursday afternoons um for a while and those were great you know played against some of the best people in the game um so that that was a just a really 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 cool experience and then yeah the mc was my final like major tournament of the year? I did. I did attend some PTQs. I uh, lost in finals of a PTQ, which is mm. one of the worst feelings in the world.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah! But that was uh, sort of like climbing that ladder and then just. Uh... You know getting getting quite there to the top so in whatever your showings are congratulations on on your uh on your tournament results on your tournament gameplay you're, you're one of the people on the podcast that i've had on that has had a lot of uh a lot of tournament experience so just congrats on everything you've been up to there
1: yeah thanks um but i am excited going forward seeing more arena tournaments you know the dream hack events are hosting yeah. these arena opens um mm-hmm. I know we're talking about 2019, but I did participate in the first arena open this year, and that was just a really cool experience where you get that face-to-face interaction with your yeah. opponent, mm-hmm. but you're on the arena client.
0: So that was uh, that was in Anaheim, California, right? Correct. So you traveled out to Anaheim, and uh, uh, did you uh, get to meet uh, who who were some of the commentators there? Did you meet any of the personalities there, like Mar- Maria Bartholdi or anyone like that?
1: Yes. Um, my husband was more talking to Maria, but I briefly spoke with her <laughs> um, and um, that's admirable. Um, oh. He was one of the casters and um, spoke with him too. Um, so yeah, they. I think the coverage for that was really good. I didn't, obviously didn't get to watch a whole lot of it, but yeah. um, I think the cool thing about walking to those events is you are just immediately immersed in the world of esports when you walk into this convention center Mm -hmm. and you know you have warcraft 3 and halo tournaments and call of duty tournaments and madden tournaments going on and then you have your magic section and everything has like a spectator section these huge screens and they're all like they're all lined up like right next to each other but you can be watching one and not even know the rest of them are going on Mm -hmm. which is it was just such a cool experience in general and it's really cool to see magic as um in that lineup amongst those other games
0: Yeah, part of the club, because in the grand scheme of it, Magic's been around, you know, 27 years now, and they've had a digital client for a long time. But now, you know, honestly, you can say that they're starting to compete in the esports world with a flashier client, a flashier interface, although it is still Magic, it is still deep and and interesting. And it's just cool to be in part of that space with all of the other heavy hitters of esports.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very cool. And, you know, I... I don't think I saw, you know, could have pictured this, you know, 10 years ago when yeah. I first got back into magic again.
0: Mhm. Did you go to any pre-releases for any of the sets?
1: So, I did attend a pre-release for War of the Spark because it was a few weeks before I was going to play in a Magic Fest and I was really anxious about playing in paper cards again.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um but That's the only one that I attended for a pre-release. Since I I do have a toddler, it's kind of hard for my husband and I both to do that. Mm -hmm. So and he really, really enjoys the pre-release experience. So he's he's gone to a few and I've stayed home.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you might uh, you might take your your toddler and um, maybe distract your opponents and then get in a (laughs) couple of wins in there.
1: Unfortunately, I think the toddler's going to be distracting me and not my opponents. (laughs) Um, He does like cleaning up the floor at card game shops and picking up all the pack wrappers. So, Uh, I mean, (laughs) we could probably keep him entertained for about 15 minutes, but it's also kind of gross.
0: Yes. I also went to a War of the Spark pre-release. And so I got back into Magic in 2017, and I hadn't gone into any any face-to-face pre-releases, although I had... Uh, I had a couple with friends where we bought a box and then we, we did our own uh, uh, drafting that way. And so it was the first one I had been to in uh, War of the Spark. And it was pretty fun. And it was uh, unfortunately, it was, a, it was a card shop that it was going to close. So it was like their last hurrah to do the War of the Spark pre-release on that. And it was pretty fun. But then I just kind of didn't find the time throughout the rest of the year to do it. And I set a New Year's goal to try to get out to them in 2020. And so far... I'm uh, meeting that goal. I did go to the Theros Beyond Death pre-release uh, at another shop, and I, I did very well. I went zero and three.
1: Nice. Nice. <laughs> you had fun, right?
0: That's the important part. I had fun. I got some fun cards, um, and I just got to play the cards in in real life because it's isn't it interesting how you can play the new set so far in advance especially if we get like an early access streamer event and even if we don't get an early access streamer event we're still able to play the cards a few days before paper so it's just a different sort of thing now where it was like paper pre releases, where you're going to see where you're going to play the cards you've been theory crafting but now you get to play but now we've got arena and we get to play it kind of early
1: Honestly, I think it's it's actually pretty cool that you just you get all this exposure to the cards up front, and th- I feel like the pre releases still do feel like a big deal and almost like more excitement around them. Mm-hmm. Maybe
0: I think so. I think people, uh, more people, are getting introduced to the game and they want to try it out in real life. So yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, like I don't maybe arena just kind of like helps lead you know lead more to the hype of like oh new sets coming out. You know I've tried these cards online, I want to get my hands on them in paper now.
0: Um, and maybe also cool trailers like the War of the Spark trailer, the Throne of Eldraine trailer.
1: Yeah, th- yeah, those have been awesome. I think there's been a lot of really cool promotional stuff this past year with Magic, um, and they've just really stepped up their game.
0: Definitely. So those are the two that stand out to me. Those two trailers, and I guess Throne of Eldraine was released at the end. Yeah. Wait, uh, wait, what am I thinking? I'm thinking Theros. Um, Theros Beyond Death was released at the end of December because we were getting uh, Theros in January. So were those the three big trailers that they showed in 2019 or am I missing any?
1: Those are the only three that I remember because I think War of the Spark was the first big one that kicked everything off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of those three recent ones that we've uh, been uh, treated to, are there any that uh, maybe stand out or is your favorite of the three?
1: As far as the trailer? Yeah. I mean, I think the War of the Spark one was just very, very cool. It was very, it it was, it was a cool surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think anybody ever expected that from Magic. So just to have something like that big and that, I felt like it was a pretty impactful trailer to a lot of people. Yeah. So that's probably, that's the one that definitely sticks out to me just because it was, it was just this new thing that they just went all in on the first time.
0: Yeah. Fully rendered, uh, interesting cover of a song, visually very interesting and a little plot in that two minute in that two minute trailer. So I think they really set a, a high bar and I hope they continue to, to kind of strive for that. It seems that they have with another pretty epic one in Throne of Eldraine and uh, the, uh, the the Theros Beyond Death one, so I hope they continue that. I was kind of going back to look at some of the older trailers, and they're definitely from a different time with less high-tech uh, visuals to them, but I think maybe plot-wise, they were still okay. Just visually, they didn't quite hit the, the high marks that they do nowadays.
1: I don't even remember any older trailers, so <laughs> that should tell you something.
0: Yeah, maybe they weren't that impactful. Maybe the cards, but not the not the trailers. So in 2019, we had four sets that were released for Arena, and it was about 1,500 cards. When I looked that up, it was about 1,500 cards on Arena. And that was Ravnica Allegiance, War of the Spark, Corset 2020, and Throne of Eldraine out of those sets released on arena in that year any any thoughts anything favorite anything that stands out
1: i think war of the spark was like my favorite set released last year um i really enjoyed the limited format around it you know you had i think it was cool and you had bombs in the format but there was a lot of interactive gameplay in limited um which i thought was like super cool because i remember like when i first looked at that set i'm like i'm just gonna lose to you know the the gods like that's i'm just gonna lose to these and mm-hmm. i had some crazy limited games where you know there' was just tons of gameplay you know i was able to overcome these like bomb rares and mythics yeah. in the game um so i thought that was a that was a really cool thing that there's just these cards that just seem so absolutely insane but the limited gameplay played out very fairly mm-hmm. um also i do i did it I enjoyed standard quite a bit around the time. I played a lot of different decks. I know, I don't, I don't know that war changed up standards significantly. Um, Obviously to fairy three was a big deal, but Mm -hmm. Esper had existed before then. Um, So it it added to, it basically made a bunch of archetypes better than what they had been. But I do remember enjoying that standard format Mm -hmm. and just, I, I liked the gameplay of all the different decks in that format. Um, but I'd say honorable mentions to Throne of Eldraine. Um, that was hmm. a really, really fun themed set. Um, the cards were really cool. Um, standard was a little bit of a mess there for a while, but I actually <laughs> kind of, I enjoyed moments of that standard.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think War of the Spark was a really innovative set in that when they were first teasing it, they were revealing a planeswalker in every pack, and so that meant, well, there's going to be not just mythic rare planeswalkers, but rare and uncommon. And people were just really questioning, how is that even going to work? And it was just really a testament to the creativity of the company that they were able to create uncommon planeswalkers that were beyond a creature, beyond the legendary, and maybe not to the top of a mythic They had interesting uh, minus abilities and then a static ability that uh, was never before seen on a Planeswalker. What did you think about those uh, tacking on static abilities on Planeswalkers?
1: I think it's a love-hate thing. (laughs) I think they're really cool, but it was just such an unusual thing that, you know, I even think still today you'll be sitting there just, like, trying to think through a play and, like, what do I need to do here? Like, you know, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, like, you just remember, oh, there's this Planeswalker ability.
0: <laughs> this yeah. is not
1: going to work the way that I thought it was.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it just happened to me the other day, which is the Planeswalker that shuts you down from searching your library? Because I cracked... Uh, Ashiok. Yeah, I cracked my <laughs> Fabled Passage and then it just made that funny sound And I'm like, nope, you get nothing.
1: Uh-huh, yep. I'm pretty sure everybody has that story at this point of, I forgot about the Planeswalker's static ability
0: yeah because it's like yeah mill me out who cares okay great you'll take 12 or whatever cards uh out of my 60 card deck but who cares but then whoops okay that uh that uh fable passage doesn't work anymore
1: i think that narset is like the most impactful of the yeah um as far as at the uncommon level and the um, static abilities that mm-hmm. you know she, she just impacts games and makes the games play out way different than they would have of otherwise
0: Definitely, it'd be kind of fun for people to play with a bit more of the other planeswalkers. But I guess I see them once in a while in Brawl. Uh, people are slotting them in there, like Domri. I see Domri oftentimes, and Ryl, Zarek I see him as a as a Brawlmander. Um, any thoughts on Brawl in Arena in twenty nineteen?
1: You know, it's funny. I tried it out when it first started. <laughs> I just kept playing against Oko and Golos, and I'm yeah. just like, this is not for me.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they, they saw who it was that they were playing up against, and the algorithm matched you against uh, the, those particular decks.
1: Um, yeah, I was... I, I can't, I can't, I, I know people love Brawl. My small <laughs> sample size <laughs> was yeah. not an enjoyable experience for me. <laughs> I will definitely give it a try in the future. I know they banned Golos, I believe.
0: And that? Oko, so it's all Coast is clear.
1: Yeah. So should be <laughs> totally fine, right? Of course. Um Yeah, I, I'd be interested to come back and try it at some point. Um But you know, right now the whole remember, I don't I barely have time as is right now. So. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh one of the one of the things that they're trying also is have you seen the festival of the gods that's happening in these last few weeks?
1: I have seen those. Um I haven't really participated in one of them. I've actually been traveling two of the last four weekends mm-hmm. now. Um, and my last two weekends I've been working on some limited ranking. Um, so the festivals have not really like lined up with my time, but I know they have the, it's a brawl one going on right now. Correct.
0: Yeah. It's a historic brawl. So it's historic. the larger card pool.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have checked them out. Um, I think they're really cool. They, they, There was nothing that I had to have from them. Usually, like, these (laughs) events, like, I'm, like, fully committed to if I get a fancy land out of it.
0: Yeah, same here. Right now, it's just kind of cosmetics on some of the cards. Uh, I think when those types of card cosmetics were announced, they were like, okay, it's interesting. You get a parallax sort of view of these cards, and especially if you like certain cards, this is, like, a variation on a foil. But I, I really think that, like, they... They're not as relevant to people. I don't. I don't really see them as often. Do you? That people have their blinged out deck with a lot of these fancy parallax uh, effects.
1: I'm gonna be honest. I apply sc- card styles every single time, but <laughs> I would never notice if my opponent's playing the card styles or not. Yeah. Um, it's just. It's not what I'm focused on when I'm playing arena.
0: Yeah. What about any cool card sleeves? Do you get any any card sleeves?
1: I'm probably like the lamest person you've had on this podcast as far <laughs> as having card sleeves. Um, I think I have the TwitchCon card sleeve. That one's pretty cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't really. I have a couple from the bundles. Um, mm-hmm. I have the Mythic Championship qualifier competitor sleeves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I put those on if I really want to intimidate my opponents. Yes. Uh, um, am going to be honest, though. Half the time, I forget to put sleeves on my deck.
0: <laughs> Just like in the old days when we played without sleeves on concrete.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I actually, I def- I did a, when I was at um, DreamHack, I didn't bring any of my paper card stuff with me. So I didn't have sleeves or dice or anything. And I ended up playing a draft. And I'm sitting there shuffling up my unsleeved deck, like, yeah. <laughs> barring my opponent's dice, like, writing on a sheet of paper I happened to bring with me.
0: yeah. How times have changed, right? We're so used to digital magic, perhaps, and then when we play in a classic way, it's suddenly like, oh, it doesn't auto tap for me, huh?
1: Yeah, it doesn't auto tap for me. It doesn't remember my triggers for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a May trigger, so I can't take it back.
1: It doesn't remember remind me what card I scribed to the top.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I have. A, I bought one of the one of the sleeves that I liked buying was the OMG kitties. Uh, so that one's got those, the cute little um, Regal Caracal in a really cartoony style. I put that one to intimidate my opponents on some of my sleeves, on some of my decks. Uh, but I'm kicking myself that I I really like, I'm, I'm such like a, I like to play like cat decks because they're just fun and cats are the best and I want to combine it with magic. But I'm totally kicking myself that I didn't buy the secret layer drop the OMG kitties when it was released last year. And everyone told me that it's coming and it was available for 24 hours. You can get the bundle and such, but I didn't, I didn't get it. I don't know. Are you interested in any of that sort of like really, uh, really like high end magic product?
1: I think if the right one comes out, I would be interested. Um, I don't know what the right one is, is the problem. So, oh, I was gonna say maybe someday one of these will speak to me. Um, I thought the Lance one was actually really cool.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It's uh, too bad that it only came with one of each, so when they were all revealed, I thought they were all really interesting, really cool, like uh, interesting takes on the art, like I, I liked the goblin one, uh, but then the, the the snow-covered one, I like snow-covered lands, but it, was, it just didn't make sense to me that it was one of each. If definitely you want it for a collectible, okay, it's amazing, but if you want to play with it, th- that's unplayable. I wanted to get the um, cat one because it seems that the secret layers are a little bit more focused toward commander players. So maybe that's why do you do you play much commander in in paper? Maybe that's why you you might not really have any that speak to you yet.
1: Yeah, I did not play commander mm-hmm. in paper, so yeah, that that's probably part of it for sure. But you know, I could see something like just wanting something as like a cool collector's item. Yeah, you know, put it in the front of my binder.
0: Yeah. The uh, the latest reveal hot take uh, enemy fetch lands are being reprinted. Any thoughts on that?
1: Um, it'll be interested to, interesting to see how that goes because they're being released to stores, I believe. Um, and it's interesting since it only comes with one of each and not full play sets, mm-hmm. and they're different artwork than the original ones. So theoretically, if these are people who want to play them in a modern deck, then you have to acquire four, you know, four boxes. Yeah. So that's a, that's a hefty price tag. Yeah, um, Probably worth it. I mean, with the price of fetch, where fetch lands are now, it's probably worth it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. Um, It almost seems like maybe they're better as like, this is something again, that's more targeted towards your commander players, you know, being one of
0: Hmm. And it seems like Wizards is really focusing, on 2020 as the year of Commander with all of these announcements that they've made with the new Commander products and such. So there's plenty of podcasts about Commander and articles and so forth. So we'll just touch on that briefly. But um, back to the um, the gameplay on on Arena. Um, what uh, were were you able to get into the um, the various The various uh, early access events uh, sponsored by Wizards of the Coast?
1: I did. um, I believe I played in three of those in 2019. uh, Mm -hmm. War of the Spark, M20, and Throne of Eldraine. Mm -hmm. Um, They were really fun events. I actually... um, I kind of ventured out of my comfort zone and actually brewed some lists for a couple of the events and like... I'm like, I'm going to try this deck that I came up with on st- on the ladder or mm-hmm. not on the ladder, but in the queues and um, standard and see how it does. And like, you know, a couple of decks I did fairly well with. Um, so that was pretty cool. And that was like a unique opportunity for me personally to, you know, try something that I hadn't tried before mm-hmm. um, and isn't something I would normally do because I'm very much of what's the best deck right now? What's going to be the best deck with what I expect the format to be? Um, and you know, how can I, how can I adapt this deck to work the best in this upcoming tournament? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was pretty cool. And, um, it was really neat playing against all different streamers, you know, um, different backgrounds and different like types of styles of events they you know, normally play. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool.
0: Yeah. I actually... Well, we'll do a little shout out to Wizards of the Coast to thank them. We were both in that, uh, and uh, I also started with War of the Sparks, so it was really cool just to see a variety of, of people from all levels. And like we have that that uh, private Discord that we that we shouldn't talk about, Shh. and uh, we uh, we saw there's so many. I saw so many names, so many big names in Magic there, and being able to play against just from all levels of, of magic. It was a really cool event and I hope to continue back on that. And once again, thanks to Wizards of the Coast for making that happen to give access to a variety of streamers.
1: Yeah, thanks, Wizards. <laughs>
0: um,
1: was, the other cool thing with that was just the ability for you know streamers to connect with each other and um, kind of just do some fun um, direct challenges because I I know you organized a little bit of that.
0: Yeah, I was trying to do a... a a current set-only type of uh, challenges and such because it's sort of like uh, like in the old block-constructed days where you would only make decks out of the current uh, set or block. And now that we don't have blocks, uh, a lot of people are asking, what does that even mean? But I was trying to organize a few matches where it's let's just play only War of the Spark. Let's just play only M20 cards. And that's kind of interesting as well because it's like a big old... Like if you do like a, a box you know, a whole sealed box type of event. So that was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, it was something completely different than, you know, you're ever going to see outside of these events.
0: I think that just shows how Magic can be many games in one. It's it's a bunch of cards, but it's a big old pug- puzzle piece to put together to play how you want.
1: Yep, this is true. I, I, you know, it's just crazy. Like when you walk around a Magic Fest and you you see people playing like all sorts of different, like, casual formats or Mm -hmm. you know just you know make using the cards in the way that they want to use them to play magic
0: yeah were there any cards in 2019 that stood out to you as your favorite either because of power level or maybe even art or lore behind the card
1: uh well me being my competitive self i actually have a couple cards that i really enjoyed playing um in the past year, and the first one is Hydrid Crisis. Mm-hmm. I believe I have given Hydra Crisis a shout-out on this podcast before. <laughs> um, I just... Okay, it's super frustrating to play against. but
0: Against, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But with... It's just,
1: yeah, it's just... I thought it was, like, a really cool... It was, like, one of the first cards I played when I um, came back to Magic. Um, it's... Yeah, like, you know, it's it's a good... It's a good, you know, ramp card. And after you ramped, you have this answer to, like, gain you life and, like, refill your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, puts a big body on the board. And, like, even if, it, like, you're kind of having, like, a tough game and you have to cast it on um, four mana as a 2-2. <laughs> yes. um, or, you know, sometimes as a 1-1, I have <laughs> definitely won games because I cast a 1-1 Hydra crisis before.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a flyer, <laughs> after all.
1: Yeah. Sometimes that 1-1 flyer gets there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um yeah that i just thought that was a really cool card um and it's been a lot of fun to play and i went against one in draft earlier today that was not a lot of fun <laughs>
0: yeah if if someone resolves it against you you're not in for a good time
1: yeah and then um the other card that i like really enjoyed this year was um kenrith the return king oh and this is because i played Golos field for <laughs> the whole entire like four weeks that i could play colos field or however <laughs> long it lasted in standard um but yeah that card was just really really cool uh, again it was just a super versatile card um you know it was relevant it's like mo- the model red decks and all that because you know if you could st- stabilize and gain that five life a lot of times that was just enough to put you out of range of dying and then from there it would just um you could just take over the game very easily um you know, I've been playing a lot of um, Fires of Invention, mm-hmm. um, Just Guy Fires recently, and that card um does some work in that deck, which is awesome. Um,
0: what I like about it is that it, it has all of those modes for every single color of mana. And uh, it's just kind of fun how they designed it in that it starts from you know uh, one mana does this, two mana does this, three, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, for every every part of the color pie. What I find really funny is that when someone does have the mana for it and they cast Kenrith, then they then they give it haste. Uh, it's just really funny to me how like he's the art is that the king is there on his throne, and then I have like in my mind that he's just like got wheels on that throne and he's just coming right at you.
1: Okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but I could I could definitely see that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the artist on that uh, kind of really made the character very regal, with sort of even like a like a holy halo behind him in a uh, in his in his throne with like circular circular patterns. So, just beautiful art as usual on on uh, on these cards, and I love right clicking the card on Arena to get a larger version of it. But once in a while, I still see like maybe like from the official uh, from the wizard's mothership, sometimes they even they publish like the even higher quality of this art. And I see things that I don't even see playing with the cards over and over. Like when I look at Field of the Dead on Arena, it's like, Oh, yeah, cool. There's like a crack in the in the desert. But when I actually kind of look into it closely, there's actually zombies coming in from the from that broken earth.
1: I'm now looking at this. Oh yeah, I would have never noticed that just looking at that on Arena. Yeah, that is, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's from a classic artist, Kev Walker. He's been doing magic art since the '90s. I remember back, back in the, I think probably Mirage Block. So that was 1996, I think. I think I remember his name from way back then. So he's been doing magic art for a long time.
1: That honestly kind of makes sense because if when you look at that artwork, it kind of actually has that feel of um, some of the art on the 90s cards.
0: Yeah, some uh, of that vintage card art that's still very good, but not in the hyper-realism that we have nowadays, which that's still very good. But uh, I kind of miss some of that older art. And um, I think one of the artists that really stands out to me that has a strong voice is Seb McKinnon. Uh, his art is very evocative oftentimes very ethereal very dark even if even if the subject might not be dark i think just he's got a lot of interesting uh style in his work
1: i remember i'm trying to remember um charles erbach i don't know if he's done any artwork for magic recently but i happened to be at a convention um where his work was displayed and like I have this thing with dragons, and it's my son's nursery theme, so I saw, like, a lot of art there that he had with dragons and books, and that was, I thought that was really cool, and it was cool to find out he was a magic artist, too.
0: Oh, cool. So he did work outside of magic, but he's also contributed to magic.
1: Correct. Trying to figure out which cards he would have done.
0: I can send you a link right here. I found some on Scryfall. Apparently he's only done 18 pieces, if you you probably found it yourself, but if you follow that link. Yeah. um, Yeah, so he seems to have done a lot of like kind of lands. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, some ley lines. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was really cool that, you know, I was out of this non-magic related event and saw, you know, this artist who's done work on magic and also, you know, and Mm -hmm. also enjoyed that art outside of the magic art. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, the dark slick shores is really cool.
0: Yeah, a lot of this art seems to be like at a Dutch angle. That's that's kind of cool. That's a sort of a style, perhaps that he's that he's uh, cultivated there. And there's kind of like most of them are are just uh, yeah lands. So there's still, however, like energy about them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that manolith.
1: I just, I love the colors of that. I just like seeing like a lot of colors on cards.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially with Manolith, which gives you a man of any color. It seemed that he tried to incorporate every one of the colors into, into that composition. So kudos on that.
1: And you still have, it almost shows like the different types of lands too. Oh yeah. With, which is pretty neat. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So, what about any any other? You were about to say another card. You had said that Hydroid Crisis, Kenrith. Those were some cards that you that you liked in twenty nineteen.
1: Um, really, those were the two that stuck out to me. Um, I guess I could say Field of the Dead <laughs> <laughs> if I want to be a bad person. <laughs> I'm sure nobody wants to see that card ever again. Um, I, I, I Oko and I got along for the couple weeks that <laughs> mm-hmm. I played that deck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, can I, can I give a shout out to like Oko for just like completely like, I, I feel like Oko was just like way more dominating than like, I remember Cobblade Uh ever like be like, just, just as a card, like that was the card that mattered.
0: Yeah, it was interesting how it was the face of the set. It was a very mana efficient planeswalker. It could get. Very, uh, it could get a lot of loyalty very fast. It could answer your opponent's threats. It could turn black lotuses into three threes.
1: Yep. What what format is Oko still in?
0: Well, probably nothing. Probably commander. Let's see here.
1: He's if, not banned somewhere. Uh
0: Oh, I look, I got, I was like, hey, it says it's legal everywhere. But whoops, that was the other, that was the other Oko. Oko the trickster, the one that no one cares about. Here we go. Oko the thief of crowns.
1: Oko is legal in Legacy, Vintage, and Commander.
0: <laughs> Everywhere else, standard, pioneer, modern, brawl, historic, it's Oko is a no-no.
1: And I feel like there's been some talk that like maybe abandoned Legacy at some point, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't follow Legacy. I just feel like that's like something I've heard said.
0: Yeah, I think I've heard that too, although Legacy is the one where everyone's trying to play well, vintage and legacy I suppose. With vintage much more, I guess. You're trying to play one mana spells and two mana spells and if you're dealing with a three mana spell, then that might not quite be as tier as, as one thinks.
1: Yeah, I think I mean, people say Oko's great in vintage because of the Moxes and all that.
0: I think so. Uh, yeah, you've got those zero casting cost artifacts working for you. And uh, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, speaking of low cost artifacts, actually, um, did you get to play the arena event where there was Black Lotus and there were a few mocks in the decks?
1: I did not. Um, I think there was a reason. I like. I think I was like busy when that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like somewhat remember it though.
0: It was like a very short event. I think it only lasted two or three days, and it was a preview of Ashiok and Elspeth Planeswalkers. So everyone thought it was going to be, well, here's a preview of the precons. But uh, the planeswalker precons. But they weren't the expensive versions of those planeswalkers as they often are. They were the the more the more playable ones. And then people started to play and see that there were that there were power. That there were Power Nine cards in there, so I did play a little bit of it, and I didn't pull any Black Lotus, uh, but I did peel uh, a couple of mocks here and there, and that was really cool to get that amazing mana ramp.
1: I bet. Usually, ramping into your planeswalkers is pretty good.
0: Usually, or turn one, a person was able to summon the Cavalier of Dawn with a Black Lotus, uh, enough mana, and a and a uh, and a mocks.
1: That seems fair.
0: <laughs> oh, I forgot to say that actually happened against me. I didn't hear about it in theory. It happened against me. So it's like, okay, you got to turn one, five, six. I will probably scoop.
1: So your Pono's probably very happy about that. and
0: <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad I was able to have them fulfill their lifelong dream of playing with a Black Lotus and to be able to summon a really strong creature turn one.
1: Although, I mean, if it's Cavalier that you're summoning, like seems a little less exciting than (laughs) whatever you could do in Vintage.
0: Yeah, very true. But you play with what you can get. This is true. So I kind of like that, that Wizards might kind of try things once in a while to shake things up. I know that on one of the recent Momir Madness, Momir's Madness events, they also threw in, I think, Grizzlebrand and other sort of interesting cards that are not part of Standard.
1: Yeah, I do remember that because I remember like a card popped up that was... I knew wasn't part of standard. I hadn't seen it before. Um, So Mm -hmm. yeah, that took, you know, I, I like Momir because I remember like, oh, this is what's at this casting cost and this is what's at this casting Mm -hmm. cost. So -hmm. when they added those, you know, it kind of became like this other game of like, okay, now we have all these at this casting cost. You know, what, which one do I have to like go for here?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Now I wonder if there's a way you, you can't, can you, can you try to cast a zero casting cost thing? Is, has anyone tried that on Momir? Is it even possible? I believe you can. No.
1: Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if they actually do have anything programmed in. Um, I know, I'd, ha- I'd have to try it the next time, right?
0: Yeah. If they, that'll be a good point. They have these historic cards now on Arena, and I wonder if they're also there in uh, in Momir because we do have Ornithopter in there for a zero casting cost, zero two flyer artifact.
1: I just want to, on three mana, hit Knight of the (laughs) Reliquary. Seems fair, right?
0: Of course, yeah. Randomly, if you get it randomly, it's completely fair because it's random.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I I don't know what your chance is of that, because however many three drops you have, it's probably some absurd chance.
0: Yeah, exactly. People were always rushing to the nine mana so they can get Zakama. Uh, on, on an earlier Momir, but now that they've got a few more variety in those higher slots, it's not just racing to that one big creature.
1: Yeah, you're not just always going to get the End Race Forerunners.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it seems that 2019 was pretty enjoyable all around. We're in 2020. The set currently available is Theros Beyond Death. Any general thoughts on that, on that set?
1: So I. I have played a decent amount of limited in there is beyond death. Um, I went to two magic fest that were um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the set and um, neither of them went particularly well for me. Mm. Um, I find, I find it from like a limited perspective. The int- the set is very, it's fun. Like you have a, I feel like there's a lot of fun games where a lot of decisions matter. And then you have games where your opponent casts a dream trawler. <laughs> um, or you know like sometimes sometimes a can just like outclass your deck very very fast and I I was finding I was opening what felt like below average sealed pools a lot more often than not or you know if you're trying to make your sealed pool work you're getting into this very 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 grindy deck and um, mm-hmm. you know that it just I think it was skill testing but um, decisions seem to matter like making the right decisions seem to matter a lot and you could get punished very very easily for making um what would seem like a small mistake throughout the game um and i've drafted a fair amount i do think the draft format is fun um and as far as its impact on standard um so we i don't know how much uros made a pretty big impact on standard yeah um it's definitely brought like teamer wreck as a real deck again Mm-hmm. Um, it had a huge impact on the blue-white list because Dream Trawler is a very, very, very real card in Standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even showing up in the Bant list. Um, it's like a Bant ramp kind of control list, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been pretty cool. Um, I think it's been like a, maybe a little less impactful than I would have expected because you know, you're still seeing some of the... Same decks from before, you know, you're still seeing the Clover deck, you're still seeing the Fires deck, mm-hmm. maybe with a couple small upgrades, but that's about it.
0: That's interesting to to think about. We get, you know, over 200 cards, 250 cards, etc. with possibilities of inclusion, but maybe people are kind of set in their ways. Maybe there's the sort of like the... Um, paralysis you know decision paralysis in that this deck has worked should i try very hard to change it it's worked is there something new that's going to come out should i wait for other people to figure it out and maybe that's what you've seen that there, there hasn't been as much change to things because i still feel i see a lot of those uh decks from the last format definitely although uh some of the some of the best ones are still you know some of the best cards are being added there like i i, I get um I get thought, uh, what's that one, remorse? Um,
1: agonizing remorse? Yeah,
0: agonizing remorse. I get that one pretty often, uh, pretty regularly. It used to be uh, thought erasure pretty regularly, and now I'm seeing um, uh, agonizing remorse. Yep. <laughs>
1: See, this is why you just keep like the six land hand, and <laughs> <Yeah>. it's awful.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, that, that's my joke. Whenever I keep a bad hand, I'm just like... Oh well, it's a good hand against that eraser. We're fine.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like like that one card that you uh, that your opponent—it's black and red. Your opponent gets to get your best card, but then they give you five cards, and everyone's joking. Well, they just have a deck full of terrible cards so that so that they get a terrible card.
1: I'm blanking on the name of that card, but funny story about that. <laughs> I was playing in the sealed PTQ the Sunday at Magic Fest Reno. Mm-hmm. and um so you know the new process for when you register decks is they they don't want you passing your deck anymore because people feel bad about it or something i don't know hmm. um, this is something that makes no sense to me but it's fine so they make you open your packs and you know you like basically verify that like there's enough cards in the pack or whatever and your opponent watches you open the packs mm-hmm. um so i open my first pack and that card's in there and I'm just like, great. This is how this um event's gonna go for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause that's not the card that you want in your sealed pool.
0: hmm Well, very cool art nonetheless, but conceptually, um people are trying to say, you you get you get so many cards. But it's like, yeah, but then your opponent gets the best of those cards.
1: Yeah, like how bad of cards do you have to be playing for this card to actually be good? Like, yeah, we are I at the Magic Fest we were actually having a discussion about this, like, what? Like, does this just work in the like the really, really, really bad card Rakdos deck where you just need to like refill your hand at the end and like you honestly don't care what your opponent takes? Mm-hmm. Cause it's not gonna do
0: them any good. Mm-hmm. This is sort of like also with that uh remember scheming symmetry. Um was that one on arena for some reason? Yeah, it was in of 2020. Uh, That's the one that I get a card and you get a card for one black mana. I don't know. That's way too reciprocal that I'm going to get a good card and so will the opponent. Um, And the other one similar to that was the Wishclaw Talisman. That's that artifact with three wish counters. And then I get to go tutor for something. The opponent then gets to tutor for something and you get one more tutor effect. But uh, conceptually, I like them, but I'm just way too scared that the opponent's going to get the best thing
1: so what wish claw talisman end up finding a home in um esper dance Hmm. or esper stacks or Mm -hmm. um scheming symmetry like maybe that could be a good card in a control deck where you have to like go find your land or your go find your wrath Mm. i don't know (laughs) um it still seems like maybe it's like a little too slow for that type of situation right um, yeah, it's a
0: sorcery too. It'd be interesting if it was at instant speed, but uh,
1: if you have to ferry play, you can play it. Oh, speed. yeah,
0: sure. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I, the, that could, that could definitely. It's an interesting card. I don't know. Maybe like maybe there's been moments where I'd like to have it when I'm playing um Jun sacrifice or something, but it's probably just worse for me to have my opponent go find you know their answer to yeah um, my deck.
0: Definitely. What about um, thinking in four dimensions in terms of with um, Theros Beyond Death, we've got uh, our, our our hand, our library, and now our graveyard with the escape mechanic. What do you think about all of these escape mechanic cards that we've got to play with?
1: I think the escape mechanic has been really, really, really cool. Um I know, I, I played a little bit of um team of reclamation. Um and I was finding like some really interesting decisions in games like, okay, I need to like make this play this turn because this gets enough cards in my graveyard so I can recast this arrow at this mm. point, and that's gonna keep me alive. And um, you know, just like you're you're paying a lot more attention to your graveyard than you ever would be. Mm. Um unless you're playing like modern or something, but that's not It's been a while since I remember like having to like really be aware of my graveyard in standard.
0: Yeah, and it's it's slightly awkward that you have to keep hovering over to see uh, how many cards you have in there. At least back on Magic uh, Online, you always have the little counter visible on the screen.
1: Yeah, yep. You're always looking at your graveyard. You're looking at your opponent's graveyard. It's totally a tell as to like what you could possibly have yeah. when you start mousing over stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I try to mouse over stuff and move away from it so fast so that they don't see what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely... It's been really... It, it, they've been interesting to play with. Um, I think... Um, is it Croxa yeah. mm-hmm. Um That's been a pretty annoying card to play against because, you know... Another thing you look at is the escape cards. Is their um, their converted mana cost is actually really low. Um, ex- their escape that's a little bit more expensive. Yeah. So um, you know that, that was something interesting. Like Elspeth Conqueror's Death can't target a a a, Crox, a Croxa. Mm-hmm. which you would think being able to target a six six with that card would make sense, but yeah, guess not.
0: <laughs> I have had a lot of fun with uh, with the. Uh... With the Tima Reclamation deck, definitely it's kind of like more complex than I'm used to. So I think it's a good like mental exercise because you're, you're right about that in terms of what's the line of play that'll keep me alive, that'll try to give me some incremental advantage, thinking about what's in the graveyard. And um, sometimes I've had the, the Sophie's Choice decision of having uh, enough to escape one of my two Uros that are in the, in the graveyard. <laughs>
1: yep. Yep. Yeah, that deck has been very interesting to play. I think, like, Vass's Intervention is probably, like, one of the most interesting cards in that deck, and, like, um, you know, like, sometimes you just have to, like, is it worth countering this card that my opponent has, or is, you know, getting two extra cards in my hand going to be, like, what allows me to win this game?
0: Yeah. I don't have that fully... I don't have that deck fully at the sort of, like, tier level just yet. Uh, I don't want to spend wild cards on it so i do have to make it a little bit underpowered by having some of the like a plain old uh, you know gruel guild gate and such instead of a instead of the uh, stomping grounds but it's still been fun to play and when it really pops off oh i hit you with the explosion part of of expansion and i hit you for 10 to the face and i drew 10 cards
1: yep you just got to be careful not to accidentally mill yourself
0: yes <laughs> So any uh final thoughts on Theros beyond death any predictions on what cards might really stick around in the in the format from this set?
1: I mean, I think both the titans I think are going to stick around for sure. Mm. Um they've already been pretty impactful. I don't think dream trawlers going anywhere as much as I could never go if like if I could just go another like if I could like go the rest of my life without having to play against blue I control. <laughs> I'd be very happy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But I don't think that's going anywhere. I think, you know, we haven't seen the last of dream trawler for sure. And
0: blue white control is definitely the one that I'm like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. Do I really want to try to beat this deck or do I want to spend the next, you know, half hour to- that I eventually lose, but I got to play some magic.
1: Yeah. And what they've said to Fairies is the next core set. Yeah. So <laughs> dream trawler is definitely not going anywhere. <laughs>
0: Got to load up on those uh, Farika's Libations, which doesn't target creatures, but it'll just get countered.
1: Um, Liliata is also oh, yeah. a good answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, putting those Shadow Spears in your sideboard.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, 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 Shadow Spear. Uh, and it's not as effective, but I guess also um, the... What's that one that was from Ixalan first? Um, that one artifact that shuts down activated abilities...
1: Oh, um sorcerer spyglass.
0: Oh yeah, the spyglass. So not as effective, but you perhaps can uh, can shut down their their discard for for hexproof.
1: Enough to be minorly annoying.
0: <laughs> yes, you're annoying me, so let me annoy you back. <laughs> well, uh, any anything else regarding your future in uh, 2020, either on Magic Arena or uh, Magic in real life? Anything? Pl- any plans?
1: You know, I'm going to keep playing qualifiers, keep trying to get back to, you know, Mythic Invitational or um, Player's Tour. And yeah, I, you know, I plan on keep playing to keep playing Arena and keep trying to hit Mythic um, as much as I can, as much as my time allows me to. Mm -hmm. So.
0: Also, don't forget to add to the list playing VM Campos in the real person, eight person draft that's coming on Arena.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. (laughs)
0: That's some pretty cool news, isn't it? Uh, bot drafting is okay, being able to do it at your own time. But I kind of want to try out some real person draft soon.
1: Yep, yeah, bot drafting is—it's just a different game. Like... Yeah,
0: it's a different sort of skill set. And now that they're adding more of the sort of like social features as well, being able to chat with opponents, and they changed a couple of the of the uh, of the responses. Right now, you can actually reply with a thanks.
1: I think I missed that, but.
0: It only happens if they, if someone says to you, uh, nice, you have a moment to reply back with a thanks.
1: Oh, nice.
0: <laughs> I think there's also one more that it is a reciprocal. I forgot which one it was. But yep, now you can thanks people. Probably not sarcastically.
1: <laughs> only sarcastically. <laughs>
0: Well, I can't wait for them to have the full range of emoji, so I can thumbs up to people or, or send a little poop emoji or that sort of thing.
1: I, I sw- you need the resolves emoji, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which one would that be? Like uh, rolling your eyes?
1: Sure, sure.
0: <laughs> well, Michaela, tell people one more time where they can find you online on social media and hang out with you.
1: Yep, I am Mythic Michaela on both Twitch and Twitter. Um, I stream fairly competitive magic, mm-hmm. <laughs> as competitive as I can be after working all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, my Twitter's full of. Sometimes I meme. Sometimes I share decks. And <laughs> sometimes I share with the world what my two-year-old decided to do.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to jazz it up. People might be all magicked out, so it's time to look at the real world once in a while.
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, like sometimes just sharing what my two year old decided to do that day, um, I feel like just just breaks up everybody's like Twitter feed.
0: Yeah. It is.
1: Because some of the stuff you just can't make it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Adventures of a Toddler.
1: Uh huh. If only I could be that excited about everything in life as a toddler <laughs> is
0: that's true that's that's uh that's i guess one of the that's one of the tragedies of growing up but you know if we choose to do it yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna put food on my head just like a toddler and uh, it seems fun
1: <laughs> oh yeah here i do have a story um my son did um he had like a hair that like fell off like you know hair falls okay off your head sometimes mm-hmm. right and he tried to put it back on his head
0: Ah, oh, that's cute
1: <laughs> I would have preferred this not being during mealtime where his hands were dirty. But yeah.
0: Well, isn't that how the hair stuck back on? Because if, if he had food on his hands, then it stuck back on too.
1: Oh, that's the only way to reattach it. Yes. This is true.
0: Well, as for myself, I'm also on various social media, VM Campos all over the place, on Twitter, on Twitch, on YouTube, though. I am VM Campos Jr. Uh, and I've got a Patreon. People can check that out as well. There's a lot of free stuff that I, that I post there, that I share there. Uh, then there's tiers starting at $1. And I've also just got a brand new... I've set up a, a merch store. So if people want a cool VM VMCompos shirt or a mug uh, or a mouse pad, you can go to merch.streamlabs.com slash VMCompos. And there's some fun merch there. So, Michaela, thank you one more time for being on the podcast. Hope to have you back again.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena.